Hi, this is Steve Erspringer, and you're listening to Worshiping God, God's Way. We're looking at episode 9, and this is the story of Ruth. We read in the book of Ruth a very common, well-known story, and if I were to make it short and right to the point, it would be a woman named Ruth comes to a place where Hebrew women are working and living. She participates and she's part of that community. In the process, she meets Boaz, who is the wealthy landowner. He is also Hebrew. She gets to know him. They love each other. They marry. Then they have a child together, and the child's name is Obed. When Obed is older, he has a son named Jesse. When Jesse is older, he has a son named David. David becomes the king of Israel, and the worship story continues. Now, that's the simplified version of this story, but the real story is what you see or read between the lines. First of all, Ruth, she calls herself a foreigner, and what she is, she is a Canaanite, and she is carrying with her her Canaanite past. The Canaanites, God has always been trying to separate Israel from them because they worship multi-gods, many gods. They're polytheistic. They believe in El. They believe in Baal as well. They just call him Satan. There's Dagon. There's Asherah. There's Anat. There's a number of them, but they're all personal gods, and Ruth has carried with her those gods. It's very common. It would be expected. They would expect that because she's Canaanite. She probably had them wrapped up in all of her clothing and all the stuff she brought to Naomi's house. She might have unpacked those gods and set them next to her bed. It doesn't say that, but that's very common. Ruth goes out and she works. She goes out and starts to work in a field. And in that field, it's a field of women that are, that are harvesting. Those women aren't very friendly to her. So they know she's a Canaanite and they probably treat her with disrespect. But she falls back and she works from the rear of all of it. She picks up the leftovers and she's working hard and really she's not complaining. She's probably thankful that she's there. When the landowner shows up, whose name is Boaz, he notices right away that she is not one of the others. Boaz is very concerned about her. So he goes up and he talks to Ruth and he shares his friendship. Uh, he's very protective. He doesn't want anything to happen to her. So he tells the, the men that are working in the other field to leave her alone. And I'm sure they listen to him. And he shares it with her and tells her, listen, I, I don't want anything to happen to you. You're you're special. Well, Ruth bows down on the ground before Boaz out in the fields. Again, bowing down before a god was cultural. It was expected. Uh, it wasn't a surprise that she would culturally bow down before Boaz as if to honor him. And that's typical for a lot of nations, a lot of countries. Even when we read the story in Matthew 20 about the woman who goes to Jesus, it's Zebedee's wife, and she brings the, her sons with her. She goes to Jesus, and she bows before him, and he looks at her and says, what do you want? Well, she's not worshiping Jesus when she bows at that moment. She is culturally honoring him, and she's doing it with 
ulterior motives. She's trying to get Jesus to notice her sons. So bowing down culturally can go two ways. It can go a good way or a bad way. Jesus looks at the mother of these two boys and he says, what do you want? And he's really saying, really, what do you want? (laughs) Like, I can see right through this. What are you telling me right now? But when Ruth bows before Boaz, it's a different intent. She's not trying to get anything. She's very honored that he's there. She looks at him and she thinks, oh, this guy is so kind to me. He deserves this moment of culturally bowing and thanking him for what he's done. So Ruth's bowing before Boaz is cultural. You know, two pages later, she marries him. So it's a pretty short relationship. And when you compare Jesus, put Jesus in the place of Boaz and Ruth in the place of a person who doesn't know the Lord, you know, Jesus is always so quick to bond with someone who comes to him and worships him and and just acknowledges his greatness. He immediately will respond to them and he'll bond with them. And that's what Boaz does with Ruth. Now, culturally, in our world today, in our society of Christianity, when we use the term worship, isn't it bowing in humility? That's what it is. If you look at Webster's Dictionary, you're going to, it's going to say under the definition of worship, it's going to use the word humility. Bowing before God, you need humility. So bowing is the main point, is the main issue, but without humility, bowing won't mean anything. It'll be like the woman who goes to Jesus and tries to promote her two sons. But culturally, is it really accepted today in this Christian society that we live in? People will say yes. Is it expected? Do we expect to see it when we come to a worship service? The answer is probably no. We don't mind the idea, but we don't think about it and we don't really expect to see it. And even when we do see it, most people don't think much about it unless it's possibly a person who's sitting next to you and then they bow down on the ground and next to you and you're standing up lifting your hands. You could feel awkward. I think that's sometimes the comment people make, well, if they're going to bow down, can't they go down front and do it? I talked to a woman that I know. She goes to the back and she bows down when she's there. So is it expected? Not really. But is it part of our heritage? Is bowing down something that we have received through a heritage of religion, of church, of experiences within Christianity? Yes, it has been passed on to us. It's passed on to us not just in the last 100 years, but the last 10,000 years. From the moment that it was created, that would become our heritage of worship. It's passed on to us. Like Boaz knew what worship was, and he he saw Ruth doing it. He didn't complain that, you know, he didn't say, hey, stop doing that. He's not responding like an angel would respond. He didn't say anything. But in God's mind, what I see between the lines is that God was transitioning a Canaanite idol worshiper. He was transitioning her and all of her children 
into a one God worshiper. He was looking at Ruth. He was seeing Boaz. He was seeing the future. And he's saying, I'm going to fade the Canaanite culture of bowing before many gods, and I'm going to fade that out, and I'm going to bring in the relationship between a man and Jesus, and I'm going to build what true worship is into that. You know, Moses, he bowed before God. There was no problem with that. Abraham did the same thing. But when Ruth marries Boaz, there's all of a sudden this generational process of worshiping the one God, not many. So that's between the lines of this story. Now, there's nothing wrong with culturally bowing before the Lord of the harvest. Ruth bowed before the landowner of the harvest. We bow before the Lord of the harvest. We need to do it with humility. I remember that in a church we used to go to, there was a person up on the platform, and they would bow down all the time. And I remember hearing someone in the congregation, a friend that I knew, they were a little judgmental. It was making them feel a little bit insecure with themselves. The third commandment, it tells us not to use my name for your own benefit. And you remember the woman in Matthew 20, Zebedee's wife, she was going to, in the name of God, worship Jesus. You know, God sees through that very quickly. So if you're one of those people who are using God's name for your own benefit, and you're worshiping or leading worship or doing those things for your own purposes with his name, based or, or tattooed somewhere on you or on a shirt or something, and you're, you're not humble about it, if you're not real about it, God will see through that. You know, Boaz would have saw straight through Ruth. You notice in Ruth's situation, all the women, all the people out there working in that field, none of them came up to Boaz and bowed before him. None of them acknowledged him. They just kept working. And there could have been a reason for that. When Jesus comes to us, when we notice his, his presence, when he's there and he says, two or three are gathered, I'm there with you, do we just keep working as if he isn't there? Let's say we're in a church service. What do we do if Jesus, if his presence starts moving and we're doing something, working in a service, we're taking care of business, do we just keep working and act as if he isn't there? Or do we pause and just count our rewards? Like some of the women in those fields were probably counting how much they had gathered. They're probably looking at, well, I've done this much, I've done this much. He's going to be really proud of me because I've gathered so much wheat today. But do we ever pause and stop counting our rewards? How much have we harvested in comparison to other people? How much do we have comparison compared to what other people have? Do we have more or less? Or do we even not take a moment? We just skip it completely. We don't even look up. We just continue with what we're doing. We don't pause long enough to look up at Jesus like Ruth looked up at Boaz and recognized who he was. Do we ever do that? Maybe it's best when we're in the rear, when we're picking up the leftovers and we're unnoticed. Maybe it's better for us if we're not on the platform, if we're not getting the recognition. Maybe it's better if we're just in the back so when Jesus comes to us, we can bow before him and with real humility and real thankfulness we can worship him because we don't have all those issues that we have to other people have to deal with 
of course, we won't get the first choice. It doesn't seem like we'll get the good stuff, or maybe we'll be left out somewhere. Or maybe someone will look down upon you because you're not involved. You're not up on the platform. You're not doing all these things. Or maybe you get hassled verbally. You know, Ruth didn't really like probably the idea of being behind and being the last person, but she didn't complain about it. And it actually made it easier for her to notice and to worship. She had no problem bowing before the master of the field because she wasn't proud. If you give people a lot of stuff to do and you honor them and you see all this great stuff so they'll keep working for you, it could be that you're making it difficult for them to worship at Jesus's feet. I didn't see in this story of Ruth any of the women joining in with her. But I can say this, and this is really the story of Ruth, is that true humility produces true worship. Let's figure out where in life we are, what field we're working in. Let's discover the moment when Jesus comes and he looks at us and we make that choice to bow before him and worship him in that field of service. Worship.